Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburnshow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook, and you can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is the 81st episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Friday, February 4th, 2022. Coming up in just a few moments, Dementia Joe Biden says new racist stuff. Why is it whenever a Democrat occupies the Oval Office, he feels like he has to try to divide us? But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there is all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashmanshow.com, and click on the button that says, Become a patron. Now, before we get to Dementia Joe's latest reflections on racism, let's pause for a moment to share with you NBC's full-throated endorsement of the Chinese Communist Olympics. Yes, indeed. Here is Savannah Guthrie of the Today Show. Provocative as a statement from the Chinese President Xi Jinping to choose an athlete from the Uyghur minority. It is an in-your-face response to those Western nations, including the U.S., who have called this Chinese treatment of that group genocide and diplomatically boycotted these games. There will be much discussion about this. Yeah, there'll be much discussion, all right, but not on NBC. wonder how much money is at stake for Comcast and NBC here. I wonder what they had to negotiate a way to make sure they don't upset their genocidal hosts. Now, remember, Nancy Pelosi, two heartbeats away from the presidency, warned American athletes yesterday to keep their mouths shut. I don't think anyone has to warn Savannah Guthrie. She knows how the game's played. How long she keep her mouth shut about what Matt Lauer was getting away with. But anyway. To help put the game into perspective, let's take a look at what the great Matt Walsh is saying this morning over on Twitter. Here's the quote. China unleashed a virus on the world that killed 5 million people and then invited all the other countries over to play some games. And all the other countries are like, sure, sounds like fun. The word weakness does not even begin to describe this. Okay, Pelosi. Let's do Pelosi. I would say to our athletes, you're there to compete. Do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government because they are ruthless. I know there is a temptation on the part of some to speak out while they are there. I respect that, but I also worry about what the Chinese government might do to their reputations, to their families. Now, Pelosi knows she would not have had to have made this warning announcement when Trump was president. Pelosi has bent the knee 
to the communist Chinese genocidal dictator. And she doesn't have a problem with that. She doesn't have a problem with that. Now, you've got the host of NBC's Today Show and the Speaker of the House joining together to relay the message from communist China's genocidal dictator, take that, America! But wait, there is more. The great independent journalist Jordan Schachtel has more perspective. He says China is not to be ridiculed for wisely reporting zero COVID deaths recently. Zero COVID numbers, for that matter. That's not the lesson to be learned. China ran the most successful PSYOP in human history. That should be the focus. China's PSYOP was so convincing that U.S.-based China hawks became the major initial drivers for our own lockdowns and restrictions. Take the time machine back to January and February 2020. Our China hawks got bamboozled by the Wuhan PSYOP. Saw the videos and photos made for Western consumption and bought into the plague narrative. They demanded and received the insane authoritarian policies. Most of these actors renounced lockdowns after a few months, but the damage had already been done. The plague narrative was stuck. They got the ball rolling, and in no time whatsoever, it turned into an avalanche. And that's why, in many parts of this country, still, to this day, over two years later, you go to the grocery store and see people walking around by themselves out in the parking lot wearing cloth masks. Everybody knows it doesn't work. They, they, they don't work. Well, no, not everybody knows because most people in this country don't pay attention. And they heard somewhere along the line that uh, they better wear a cloth mask if they don't want to die. And, oh, okay. Joseph Wolfson over at Fox News has a story. CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post completely avoid the new Johns Hopkins study finding COVID lockdowns ineffective. ABC, CBS, NBC also ignore the anti-lockdown study. There has been a full-on media blackout of the new study outlining the ineffectiveness of lockdowns to prevent COVID deaths. According to a Johns Hopkins University meta-analysis of several studies, lockdowns during the first COVID wave in the spring of 2020 only reduced COVID mortality by 0.2% in the U.S. and Europe. The researchers wrote, while the meta-analysis concludes that lockdowns have had little to no public health effects, they have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted. In consequence, lockdown policies are ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument. However, 
The Johns Hopkins study received no mention of any on any of the five liberal networks this week. According to transcripts from Gravian, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, and NBC, NBC, all ignore the anti-lockdown findings after having spent much of the pandemic shaming red states with mineral restrictions and events deemed by critics as super spreaders. Remember that? Remember that term? Super spreaders? Does that ring any bells? It made it up. It wasn't just the networks avoiding the study. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, Reuters, USA Today, Axios, Politico, among other outlets, also turned a blind eye to the findings according to search results. The, the, the researchers now, the researchers. Johns Hopkins University economics professor Steve Hankey, Lund University economics professor Lars Jonung, and special advisor at Copenhagen's Center for Political Studies Jonas Herty, pardon me, Jonas Herbie, analyzed the effects of lockdown measures such as school shutdowns, business closures, and mask mandates on COVID-19 deaths. And the researchers wrote, we find little to no evidence that mandated lockdowns in Europe and the United States had a noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality rates. The researchers also examined shelter-in-place orders, finding that they reduced COVID-19 mortality by less than 3%. Studies that looked only at shelter-in-place orders found they reduced COVID-19 mortality by 5%, but studies that looked at shelter-in-place orders along with other lockdown measures found that shelter-in-place orders actually increased COVID-19 mortality by almost 3%. The researchers concluded that limiting gatherings may have actually increased COVID-19 mortality. Well, yeah, because that's what you do when you don't want herd immunity. That's what you do when you want people to get sick. The researchers wrote, shelter-in-place orders may isolate an affected person at home with his or her family where he or she risks infecting family members with a higher viral load causing more severe illness. But often, lockdowns have limited people's access to safe outdoor places such as beaches, parks, and zoos or included outdoor mask mandates or strict outdoor gathering restrictions, pushing people to meet at less safe indoor places. The researchers also examined studies that focused on specific lockdown measures and found that only intervention, found that the only intervention that reduced COVID-19 mortality was the closure of non-essential businesses, which reduced mortality by over 10%, but this effect was likely driven by the closure of bars. Researchers also pointed out other unintended consequences of lockdowns, such as rising unemployment, reduced schooling, and increase in domestic violence incidents, and surging drug overdoses. Oh, I don't, th- I don't think those are unintended consequences. I think somebody intended those consequences. 
From May 2020 to April 2021, the U.S. recorded over 100,000 drug overdose deaths, an increase of almost 29% from the 78,000 deaths that were recorded in the previous 12-month period, according to the CDC data. A study from the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice last year found domestic violence incidents increased over 8% in the U.S. after lockdown orders were issued. About 97% of U.S. teachers said their students have experienced learning loss during the COVID pandemic, according to Horace Mann's survey last year. The unemployment rate peaked nationwide at almost 15% in April 2020, but declined to less than 4% in December, which is still slightly higher than the 3.5% rate it was at in February 2020. The researchers in the Johns Hopkins University study wrote, these costs to to society must be compared to the benefits of lockdowns, which our meta-analysis has shown are marginal at best. Such a standard benefit-cost calculation leads to a strong conclusion, which is that lockdowns should be rejected out of hand as a pandemic policy instrument. You hear anybody talking about this? Um, I'm not just... I'm not just talking about ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC. I'm talking about the decision makers, the politicians who told us that uh, lockdowns were the way to go. I mean, any of them saying anything now? That uh, that this study is out there now. Why? Because where they get their news from? Where they get their news from? You know, I'll just say in the limited interactions that I have had with members of Congress and with members of the staffs of members of Congress. It's remarkable their ignorance about what's going on around them. They don't pay attention to the news. Well, except for the mainstream media narratives that their leaders want them to pay attention to. And that's why you wind up with People like Ted Cruz a couple of weeks ago calling what happened January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol a violent terrorist attack, which is ridiculous. But uh, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. Now, let's get to Dementia Joe's latest from yesterday. I will never call this man president because uh, the election was stolen. He he doesn't deserve the respect of the office. If you got a problem with that, you got the wrong show on. You know, it's a a long-held American tradition that uh, just because 
You may disagree with the politics of the uh, occupant of the Oval Office. Doesn't mean that you should show him disrespect. You uh, you respect the office. Okay, this guy doesn't respect the office because uh, he stole it. So I don't respect him. I'll never call him president. I'll never call him president. And, you know, I don't care if that keeps me off every uh, mainstream media outlet in this country. I'm not going to compromise on the truth. So now let's get to Dementia Joe's latest from yesterday. Have you ever noticed how when he makes up these anecdotes from his childhood, he always paints himself as this innocent little babe in the woods filled with wide wonder about the world around him? You ever notice that? I mean, I guess something must have changed somewhere along the line. But here he is, a little fella asking mommy why the, uh, what he called the colored folks don't go to school with him. And, uh, and I said, Mom, why are all those kids who was then called colored, why are all those colored kids in that bus? Because it's Stanton, there weren't any, there were very few blacks. So they're not allowed to go to school with us here in Delaware. So which is it, Joey? Did you live in Scranton, Pennsylvania at the time? Watching the colored kids in the bus? Or were you already in Delaware where they couldn't go to school with you? Because, as you have said proudly before, Delaware was a slave state with a southern state below the Mason-Dixon line. Which is it, Joey? You know, it's often been said that people who lie have a difficult time because they're trying to keep their lies straight. Well, you throw the dementia in on top and he doesn't have a choice. He doesn't have a chance. Now, what happened to this naive little fella trying to wrap his mind around racism? At what point did he decide to fully embrace his inner racist? How did that work out? I mean, you you heard what he said when he was running for president, right? When he was being interviewed by a a black DJ out in New York City. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. He's a racist. He's a racist. No, I got more. There's plenty more. And the other thing we should do is we should challenge these students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. You get that? 
poor kids is just are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. He's a racist. That's who has usurped the Oval Office. A racist. No, I got more. Remember when uh, Romney was running against Obama in 2012? When then Vice President Joe Biden said to a predominantly black audience, surely you didn't forget. And look at their budget and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. He's racist. And this is a guy that we're supposed to uh, respect the office of. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't get there from here. I can't get there from here. It's too far away. It's just no possible way. Respect the office? Yeah, I'll respect the office the next time we have somebody in it who didn't steal it. I'll respect the office then. Now, Joe had some interesting things to say about gun ownership. And the Second Amendment yesterday. And we'll get to that in a minute. Look, I just got to say something first. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for anywhere close to where you live. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from their homes. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they will drive it to you no matter where you are in the continental United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River Your Way makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, with each vehicle online, you'll see a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River, your way, makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. 
You want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the 48 continental United States. RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. So uh, Biden was making up a lot of stuff yesterday. I don't know if you heard about this. Making up a lot of stuff about the Second Amendment, by the way. So let's grab one of these. Hey, here we go. Biden on the Second Amendment. Making sure that people who are not allowed to have a gun don't get the gun in the first place. And again, bringing the press any the press listening. This doesn't violate anybody's Second Amendment right. There's no violation of a Second Amendment right. We talk like there's no amendment that's absolute. When the amendment was passed, it didn't say anybody can own a gun and any kind of gun and any kind of weapon. You couldn't buy a cannon in when the, this this uh, amendment was passed. And so no reason why you should be able to buy certain assault weapons. But that's another issue. So Biden is a bald-faced liar. And he's been a bald-faced liar for decades before the dementia kicked in. Now, there's a guy named Glenn Kessler. He's the editor and the chief writer of the Washington Post Fact Checker. He's a liberal. He tends to bend over backwards not to call other liberals liars. Well, yesterday he couldn't do it. <laughs> he just he just couldn't do it. He said last June this same claim about <clears throat> pardon me, not being able to buy whatever gun or cannon or whatever you wanted to when the Second Amendment passed. Last June, the same claim earned Joe Biden four Pinocchios. Quote, we have no idea where he conjured up this notion about a ban on cannon ownership in the early days of the Republic, but he needs to stop making this claim. And he actually links to the fact checker article from the Washington Post from June 28th entitled Biden's false claim that the Second Amendment bans cannon ownership. I don't, I don't know if you notice we're talking about the Washington Post here saying that Joe Biden is lying through his teeth. Uh, I mean, well, I, no, this is so remarkable. I, w- I want to share it with you. This is remarkable. This would be like Dan Rather coming out of retirement and saying uh, Barack Obama's lying about something. That's how remarkable this is. So a little article in the Washington Post Lynn Kessler, fact checker, starts off with Joe Biden 
a quote from June 23rd, 2021. Dementia Joe says, and I might add, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy a cannon, unquote. Okay. Washington Post, Glenn Kessler says that Biden offered this aside as he made a litany of his regular points about the need for background checks and what he says was the effectiveness of bans on assault weapons and large-capacity magazines that expired. Parenthetical asides from a prepared text often trip up presidents, especially Biden. In this case, he repeated a claim that Americans were prohibited from owning cannons that has already been fact-checked as false when he made it during the presidential campaign. The facts. The canon element is what mostly interests us here, but we should also address Biden's framing about the Second Amendment, which was part of the Bill of Rights adopted in 1791. The meaning of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, has long been debated. But experts said Biden especially mischaracterized it. David Coppell, the research director and Second Amendment project director at the Independence Institute, says everything in that statement is wrong. After 1791, there were no federal laws about the type of gun you could own and no states limited the type of gun you could own. He said not until the early 1800s were there any efforts to pass restrictions on carrying concealed weapons. Kermit Roosevelt, a constitutional law professor at the University of Pennsylvania, said, I think what he's saying here is that the Second Amendment was never understood to guarantee everyone the right to own all types of weapons, which I believe is true, as phrased it sounds like the Second Amendment itself limited ownership, which is not true. But David Coppell, research director and Second Amendment project director of the Independence Institute, noted that some states placed gun ownership restrictions on Native American tribes, including orders to disarm them, but the tribes under the Constitution at the time were treated as the equivalent of foreign nations. Interestingly, during the campaign, Joe Biden had asserted that the cannon restrictions happened during the Revolutionary War. Joe Biden actually told Wired Magazine in May of 2020, from the very beginning, you weren't allowed to have certain weapons. You weren't, you weren't allowed to own a cannon during the Revolutionary War as an individual. Now, historians at the time told PolitiFact there was no evidence this was the case. The Biden campaign could not point to any laws but seemed to suggest Biden's point was more metaphorical than grounded in reality. Oh, metaphorical, Joe. Why does this not surprise us? Now Biden has moved from the canon metaphor to some 20 years after the Revolutionary War, and it's still wrong. In fact, you don't have to look far in the Constitution to see that private individuals could actually own cannons. 
Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 gives Congress the power to declare war. There's another element of that clause that might seem strange to modern ears. Congress also had the power to grant letters of marque and reprisal, M-A-R-Q-U-E. What's that? These are special waivers that allowed private individuals to act as pirates on behalf of the United States against countries engaged in war with it. The letter of marque allowed a warship to cross into another country's territory to take a ship, while a letter of reprisal gave authorization to bring the ship back to the home port of the capturer. Individuals who were given these waivers and owned warships obviously also obtained cannons for use in battle. The White House did not provide an explanation of Biden's comment. Well, they can't. They can't. So we get to the part of the article, the Pinocchio test. Some readers might think this is a relatively inconsequential flub, but we disagree. Every U.S. president has the responsibility to get American history correct, especially when he's using a supposed history lesson in service of a political objective. Biden's push, see, I'm not going to call him president, I refuse. Biden's push for more gun restrictions is an important part of his political platform, so he undercuts his cause when he cites fake facts. Moreover, Biden has already been fact-checked on this claim, and it's been deemed false. We have no idea where he conjured up this notion about a ban on cannon ownership in the early days of the Republic, but he needs to stop making this claim. Well, he's not going to. He's not going to. He's been lying all his life. He sees no reason to stop now. He sees no reason whatsoever to stop now. And this is why his minions, people like Jen Psaki, have no compunctions against lying whatsoever. It's because that's what they get paid to do. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? That's what they get paid to do. Oh, 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 I I forgot. I I did have another uh, Biden racism clip. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts, know how to use, know how to get online. Oh, I see. I see. So Biden says not, not all the black folks and the brown folks know how to get online. Yeah, I see. Especially if they live in rural areas or in urban areas. And they just pretend this guy's not a racist. They just pretend he got 81 million votes. People who know better pretend. There is a uh, very well-respected veteran opinion maker on Fox News named Britt Hume, who I used to have great respect for. But ever since November 2020, 
he has pretended that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. And so I have a difficult time retaining my respect for Brit Hume because he knows it's not true. We all know it's not true. Uh, Biden on gun manufacturers. Let's uh, let's let's take a listen. Imagine had we had a liability. They're the only industry in America that is exempted from being able to be sued by the public. Only one. Imagine had that been the way with cigarette manufacturers. Where the hell would we? Where, would, where the heck would we be? We'd be in tough shape. Why gun manufacturers? Because of the power of their lobbying ability. It's got to end. End. they got to be held responsible for the things that they do that are irresponsible. And folks, you know, it's the only industry in America, as I said, that's exempt from being sued. And I think I find it to be outrageous. Oh, you do, huh? The great Deb Hine over at American Greatness says Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson couldn't be reached for comment. I mean, that's number one. Number two is he's just lying. People sue gun manufacturers all the time. By the way, if I may, you know, it's already impossible to uh, trust someone who intentionally lies on the regular, like Joe Biden. But doesn't it doesn't it kind of bother you when he uh, intentionally mispronounces things like manufacturer? Hey, the manufacturer. Come on, man. Give me a break. Give me a break. Now, there's a fascinating new question out this morning. You remember Michael Avenatti, the creepy porn lawyer, the guy who was uh, representing uh, Stormy Daniels, who was suing uh, Trump, and now... Stormy Daniels is suing Michael Avenatti, who went to jail for trying to extort, uh, was it Nike he's trying to extort? Fascinating new article out this morning. Was Hillary Clinton paying Michael Avenatti? <laughs> well, take a look. I'll take a look. I don't mind. I mean... Stranger things have happened, right? I'm sitting here in Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, home with a Clinton machine for many, many years. Trust me, stranger things have happened. All right. Um, one of the first things that Bill and Hill tried to do when Bill became president was uh, pass Hillary Care. And by the grace of God, that was stopped dead in his tracks until years later when Obama, with Pelosi's help, passed Obamacare. 
And they said it was going to make your health care more affordable. Of course, they lie about everything, right? So let me ask you, did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, there's a website you need to go to to save money. It's called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see these big, bold letters, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then that wonderful red button, which says schedule call now. You click on the red button and you schedule a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. He will also make sure that you get a tailor-made plan for you. An insurance plan that doesn't force you to cover horrible things like abortion that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs, like some of those Obamacare plans do. The website, again, is MyFamilyHealthPlan.com for affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Click the button that says Schedule, Call Now. Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right. So let's take a look. Mark Judge over at American Greatness. Mark Judge, journalist and filmmaker, whose work has appeared in Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Daily Caller. He's been all over the place. Article entitled, Was Hillary Clinton Paying Michael Avenatti? Subtitle, as a creepy porn lawyer faces fines and jail time, questions about his operation and who was financing it linger. So here goes. Did Hillary Clinton or the Democrat National Committee ever pay Michael Avenatti? The question isn't exactly new. It was at least hinted at as early as May 10th, 2018, That day, Mark Penn, former advisor to President Bill Clinton, published an op-ed in the Hill newspaper. At the time, the news was filled with the rantings of Michael Avenatti, who gained his fame and notoriety representing former porn star Stormy Daniels. Daniels was claiming she was paid to cover up an affair with Donald Trump before he was elected president. Mark Penn's column raised several good questions. They've become even more relevant now that Michael Avenatti, on trial for allegedly stealing money from Stormy Daniels, is back in the news. So here's what Mark Penn asked. He said, so exactly who is paying Michael Avenatti? And is he a lawyer, an opposition researcher, a journalist, or a campaign operative? He wants to make the discussion all about where Michael Cohen, President Trump's personal attorney, got his money, but to have clean hands, Michael Avenatti 
needs to come forward with exactly who is financing his operation, who his sources were for detailed banking information, and whether he really is an attorney solely representing Stormy Daniels or just using her as cover to wage a political operation. Now, remember, this is Mark Penn, former advisor to Bill Clinton, in TheHill.com, back in 2018. He says, from the beginning, this has been fishy. Stormy Daniels' previous lawyer advised her to stick to her agreements. In contrast, Michael Avenatti okayed her violating with impunity her non-disclosure agreement on 60 Minutes, despite a binding arbitration judgment against her. She acknowledged on Twitter that she is not paying for her lawyer. So who is? And did he indemnify her against all multi-million dollar penalties? Finally, Mark Penn, former Clinton advisor, ended with this haymaker. He said, it took a long time and even a court battle to find out that the Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee paid for the Fusion GPS dossier, a fact that was disclosed only after the damage was done, as former British spy and the dossier's compiler Christopher Steele had already created a vast echo chamber as though the material he was peddling had been verified in some way, which, of course, it never was. Now, Michael Avenatti is being allowed to repeat this same process, mixing truths with half-truths and evading accountability. Michael Avenatti has been given a free, unfettered media perch on TV to spread his stuff without the networks forcing him to meet any disclosure requirements, saying that he is Stormy Daniels' attorney when someone else entirely is paying for this operation is not true disclosure that allows the viewer to evaluate the source of potential conflicts. He's now being given deference as though he's a journalist interested in protecting unverified sources while he makes headline-grabbing pronouncements. Lawyers need to disclose the source of their evidence. This is fascinating. Now, Mark Judge over at American Greatness continues. He says, I have some personal experience with Avenatti, the man Tucker Carlson calls the creepy porn lawyer. In fall 2018, the political left and the media tried to destroy Brett Kavanaugh, a high school friend of mine. Central to their effort was Michael John Avenatti, the creepy porn lawyer, lived on television. He was interviewed 147 times in one week alone. How's that even possible? That's nuts, man. It's like 21 times a day. He was fawned over by journalists who claimed to possess street smarts, yet couldn't find their way out of their own bathrooms without help. Fueled by opposition research. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Fawned over by journalists, and he, and he links to a YouTube. He links to a YouTube. Okay, it's from the Texas Tribune. Anyway. Fueled by opposition research, extortion threats, and an attempted honey trap, politicians and the media climbed aboard the SS Avenatti, the direct lineal descendant of the Titanic. In the fall of 2018, a woman named Christine Blasey Ford accused Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her in 1982. 
when we were all in high school. Ford claimed that I was in the room when the incident allegedly happened. Ford, who had every intention of going public, was a bad actor in both senses of the term. Sloppy doesn't begin to describe the corporate left's reporting about the claims against Brett Kavanaugh and me. He says, Vanity Fair had to issue a correction admitting that a woman who had said we went to college together, in fact, had attended a different school. The Washington Post withheld exonerating evidence presented by a witness they excluded from their explosive first story about Ford's allegations. Reporters used as sources people who had never so much as laid eyes on Brett Kavanaugh or me. Then came Michael Avenatti. On September 24th, 2018, I got a nasty message on my phone from someone saying, you like blanking with people? I like blanking with people too. Give me a call. I still didn't know who the call was from, but I did give the number to the FBI. Words I had learned as a kid watching The Exorcist came back to me. Quote, do not talk to the demon. The demon is a liar, unquote. Later that same day, Avenatti went on TV where he appeared apoplectic and said my name 13 times within a span of two minutes. He was flustered. Extortion wasn't working as it would, as it would fail with Nike. Avenatti had figured out that I was too street smart to hand him the shiv to plant into my own back. I was not about to give in to the mob. Then the creepy porn lawyer produced a woman named Julie Swetnick. Ms. Swetnick claimed that Brett Kavanaugh and I had attended 10 parties in high school where girls were drugged and gang raped. She claimed that she herself was the victim of a gang rape. The story was too good to check. In a move that would have gotten an intern fired, NBC's Kate Snow not only put Julie Swetnick on air without any vetting, she also withheld information that would have damaged Michael Avenatti. During the first week of October 2018, when Brett Kavanaugh still had not been confirmed, Michael Avenatti claimed he had a woman who would corroborate Julie Swetnick's claims. It was a lie. But here's an NBC News said, reached by phone independently from Avenatti. On October 3rd, the woman said she only skimmed the declaration Avenatti had written for her. After reviewing the statement, she wrote in a text on October 4th to NBC News, quote, it is incorrect that I saw Brett spike the punch. I didn't see anyone spike the punch. I was very clear with Michael Avenatti from day one, unquote. But there was more. There's more. The woman told NBC, quote, I would never allow anyone to be abusive in my presence, male or female. I will definitely talk to you again and no longer Avenatti. I do not like that he twisted my words, unquote. Rather than report this news at the time, which would have helped Judge Kavanaugh, NBC sat on the story for several weeks. They did. NBC. 
Are they the ones that blew up the uh, the gas tanks on the on on the truck there, or the Dateline NBC years ago? NBC. Are they the ones who edited the George Zimmerman's nine one one call to make him sound like a racist? That NBC. NBC. Is that the, that's the one with Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show? Helping the uh, genocidal dictator of communist China say in your face, USA. That NBC, right? Okay. So NBC sat on this explosive information for weeks that would have helped Brad Kavanaugh. From Fox News, October 26, 2018, quote, NBC News is under fire for sitting on information that would have cast serious doubt on wild claims about now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh just when the unsubstantiated allegations were rocking the judge's confirmation to the high court. Controversial attorney Michael Avenatti and client Julie Swetnick claimed last month, that would have been September 2018, that Kavanaugh took part in high school gang rapes just as Kavanaugh was defending himself against a separate uncorroborated claim. Avenatti connected NBC News with an anonymous woman he claimed could corroborate Julie Swetnick's allegations, but instead accused the lawyer of twisting her words. Still, NBC went with Swetnick's story without disclosing the exculpatory reporting. On Thursday... Again, this is October 2018. Nearly three weeks after Kavanaugh's confirmation, NBC News published an article headlined, New Questions Raised About Avenatti's Claims Regarding Kavanaugh. They detailed what they called inconsistencies with Julie Swetnick's claims. In the article, NBC News admitted the unidentified woman repudiated the sworn statement Avenatti provided to the Senate Judiciary Committee on her behalf. To corroborate Swetnick's claims, Kavanaugh's polarizing confirmation proceedings ended ended on October 6th when the Senate voted 50 to 48 to confirm him to the high court. Now, Swetnick had once been represented by attorney Deborah Katz, who also represented Christine Blasey Ford from the CNN website on September 26, 2018. We get this. Two sources told CNN that Julie Swetnick filed a sexual harassment complaint against a former employer a decade ago and was represented in the matter by a lawyer from Deborah Katz's law firm. Swetnick is currently represented by attorney Michael Avenatti, who rose to prominence earlier this year for representing Stormy Daniels, a source familiar with the matter, confirmed that a lawyer at Deborah Katz's law firm did represent Swetnick, but that it was not Katz herself. The source said Katz never represented Swetnick and that the firm did not refer Swetnick to Avenatti for representation. Well, I guess that settles that. The scam of 2018 was an opposition research dump made up of an unholy trinity. It was journalists working with lawyers and opposition researchers who in turn were working with the lawyers and politicians. The whole thing was one reckless, self-perpetuating, toxic scrum. 
The left cast a net over the Washington metropolitan area and included my high school yearbook. Anything they dragged up was used against us. I was called a drunk, a racist, a misogynist, even a fan of Benny Hill. It was the kind of thing that happens in totalitarian states. The people who set it up may go to jail or go to therapy or return to their high-paying media jobs. They will also die without honor. In his sentencing in 2021, Avenatti wept as he said, Your Honor, I've learned that all the fame, notoriety, and money in the world is meaningless. TV and Twitter, Your Honor, mean nothing. He then mentioned his three children, including two teenage daughters who wrote letters to the judge. Quote, Every father wants their children to be proud of them. I want mine to be ashamed, because if they are ashamed, it means their moral compass is exactly where it should be. Unquote. Mark Judge concludes his article here in American Greatness saying, That's fine, fraud. Now who paid you? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? And you know what? There's not one person within the sound of my voice who is even thinking of forming the words, well, that's something Bill or Hillary would never do. Not one. Not one person. Within the sound of my voice. Who would come anywhere anywhere near saying those words. No saying. Just thought I'd mention it. Just thought I would run that one by you. <laughs> man, oh man, oh man. What a wicked web we weave. When first we practice to deceive, right? I'm going to tell you something that happened in my own life. Um, New Year's Eve 2015. My then fiancé and I had gotten back from uh, from the Florida Panhandle the day before, taking her down there to spend some time with my mom for Christmas. And New Year's Eve 2015, I could not find her. She was not answering her phone. And finally, I heard from one of uh, her adult children, hey, mama's in the hospital. Jason's girlfriend had to drive her 80 miles an hour to the ER at Baptist this morning because she couldn't catch her breath. She's got COPD. She's in a medically induced coma. I'm like, medically induced what? I didn't know what that meant at the time. I found out quickly that means they have to put you under to stabilize you. So she was in a hospital for nine days, including two and a half in that medically induced coma. Now, when she got out, I took her to the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center as soon as I could. 
Let me tell you why. It's the best kept secret in American healthcare, and it's not just available in Arkansas, but all over the country. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone, the C1, to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your reproductive system, your circulatory system, your digestive system, can cause migraines, neck pain. And, and as with my then fiancé, now my wife, your respiratory system. So what they do is they take an x-ray of your uh, your head and your neck and to determine if your atlas is out of alignment. And if it is, they realign your atlas. So that's what Dr. J.R. Crabtree at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center did for my then fiancé, now wife. He adjusted her atlas. And... As we were walking out of the office, she said, Doc, this is crazy. I said, what? She said, well, for years, the big toe on my left foot has felt numb and tingly. Now it feels normal. That afternoon, she texted me while I was doing my local radio talk show. She said, hey, Doc, guess what? I don't have my regular daily backache. I said, great. A few days later, she said, you know what? I haven't had a headache since I got my atlas adjusted at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. I said, great. That's wonderful. Listen to me. Do yourself a favor. Look in the mirror. If one eye looks bigger than the other, if your eyes look off balance, if your shoulders look off balance, when you look at a picture of yourself, if you're naturally leaning to one side or the other, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Over Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're outside central Arkansas, you go to the website, turnmypoweron.com, click on Find a Doctor, and see if you can find one close to where you live. Turnmypoweron.com. It's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. TurnMyPowerOn.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. That having been said. You know Shaquille O'Neal? They call him Shaq. We used to have a, uh, when I did local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas, a um, friend of mine who worked for one of the music radio stations in the same building turned me on to a uh, little rap song that Shaq did that we used to use until we got a new program director a few years ago said, stop using that. But people kept on quoting it to me for months. What's up, Doc? Can we rock? That's Shaq. And if we can ever figure out how to um, get the music licensing Squared away. We'll start doing it again on this live stream of podcasts. But anyway, anyway, Shaq 
was on a podcast yesterday. And Shaq had something to say about vaccine mandates that didn't go over too well. Because sometimes when you tell the truth about stuff, people get upset with you. It went something like this. Look, I encourage everybody to, to be safe and take care of your family. I do. But there's still some people that don't want to take it. And you shouldn't have to be forced to take something that you don't want. So I don't think people are being forced to take. Well, there are some. There are. I mean, listen, we have a mandate at CBS. That's forced. We have a mandate at CBS. But my but my point. That's forced. But where I wholeheartedly. That's forced. No, it's not forced. It is forced because if the man don't take it, the man will get fired. She getting paid to lie, and he ain't going to put up with it. What's basically going on there? She getting paid to lie, and he's not going to put up with it. No, that's not force. Yeah, it is. Because if he doesn't take it, he gets fired. Don't tell me it's not force. Don't tell me. It's not force. When you know it's force. All right? Now, I don't know if y'all heard, but um, this guy, Jeff Zucker, got fired as head of CNN couple of days ago. And some folks are at CNN are pretty upset about it. Matter of fact, uh, Brian Stelter, we call him Tater. He's got a show about media, runs on Sunday mornings called Reliable Sources. Has Dan Rather on his regular guest, but it calls the show Reliable Sources. So he has the liar on. Anyway, Brian Stelter is very upset that Joe Rogan's podcast has a lot more viewers than anything on CNN. And Brian Stelter thinks that's a real problem. I want to show all kinds of opinions. Which sounds great, but not all opinions are created equal. You think about major newsrooms like CNN that have health departments and deaths and operations that work hard on verified information on COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who just wing it, who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify, much bigger than any single platform, Kate. But that's what is the heart of this right now. Oh, really? So CNN fact checks stuff. The same CNN that had all those women on camera a few years back, hands up, don't shoot. As if that was true. Yeah, y'all fact check everything, don't you? Seth Mandel, executive direct executive editor over at Washington Examiner, says Jeff Zucker lit American politics on fire and watched it burn with psychotic glee while cheating on his wife's subordinates. So, yes, let's make him a martyr and start a new religion. Because looks like that's what Stelter wants to do. 
know what I'm saying? Looks like that's what Stelter wants to do. Here's a quote from Stelter yesterday morning. Actually, he's quoting Michael Bass on CNN's 9 a.m. editorial call. I know we're all in shock. You can't replace Jeff. It's not possible. There's no one else like him. So the best thing we can do is honor his legacy and continue his mission. Do what we've been doing every single day. The great Molly Hemingway over the Federalist says, do what we've done every day. Drive the ratings into the ground. Destroy our reputation. Continue claiming the 2016 election was stolen by Trump and Russia. Otherwise harm the country. Engage in fascistic censorship campaigns and sleep with the staff. Yeah. Do what we've done every day. The great Sean Davis. Oh, before I get to Sean Davis. Before we get to Sean Davis. Alehi Izadai, media reporter at Washington Post. Quoting Michael Bass. One of CNN's three interim co-heads said at a big meeting yesterday morning, we're all in shock, referred to Jeff Zucker as, quote, our North Star, the captain of our ship. I'm just going to be honest. You can't replace Jeff. It's not possible. He adds that Jeff Zucker was a mentor to many, and the best thing we can do is honor his legacy, continue his mission to do great journalism. Ended the 9 a.m. CNN journalism call yesterday by saying, the ship is still sailing. Go get him. Now, again, not one show on CNN has a million viewers. Not one. Joe Rogan gets at least 11 million each show, sometimes way more, right? Drives him crazy over there. So, Journalist Glenn Greenwald, who certainly is no conservative, out there on Twitter says, CNN's ratings have collapsed. With Trump gone, its primetime shows, all of CNN's primetime shows, have an audience size equal to a mid-sized YouTube channel. They lead the way in false stories. The Cuomo stuff is just one of countless journalistic scandals. What did Jeff Zucker do that makes him so vital? You could excuse CNN's humiliatingly tiny ratings if they did stupendous journalism to counterbalance that. Alternatively, you could excuse their awful journalism and breach of journalistic ethics if they had a big audience. But they fail on all counts. CNN is a monument to failure. Sean Davis of The Federalist says, Jeff Zucker gave lucrative jobs to mediocre morons who could never get that kind of money or attention anywhere else on earth, then insulated them from the consequences of their own depravity day after day. That, and that alone, is why these dimwits are so crushed by his firing. 
Now, now, now tell me that's wrong. Make the case for why that's wrong. Because, I mean, seriously, CNN has been a joke for many, many years. No two ways around it. We both know it. They, 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 they haven't done journalism since, I don't know, I remember them making stuff up in the late 80s. You know what I'm saying? In the late 80s. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, um, I think Senator Ron Johnson deserves some credit here. I I I, I really believe apparently one- Senator Ron Johnson deserves some credit here. He's demanding Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin provide information about an abnormal spike in medical conditions among service members. Among these spikes are an increase of almost 2,200% in hypertension, a 680% increase in multiple sclerosis, a 472% increase in female infertility, 369% increase in testicular cancer, Why? Why is this happening? 487% increase in breast cancer. 894% increase in malignant neoplasms of the esophagus. Why is this happening in the United States military? 474% increase in malignant Neoplasms of thyroid and other endocrine glands. 468% increase in pulmonary embolism. United States military. Why is this happening? You know, a couple of nights ago, late at night, I saw a public service announcement on television from the CDC. Was it the CDC or the FDA? I'm pretty sure it was the CDC. And they said that every six minutes in this country, somebody dies of blood clots. And I'm sitting there going, really? I wonder... uh, I wonder what the rate was before they rolled out the vaccines. Just a thought. Just a thought. So anyway, this one senator, this Ron Johnson guy, Wisconsin, seems concerned about these outrageous increases in all these very dangerous medical situations 
among service members. And the great Steve Dace over at uh, Blaze TV says, uh, why is this Ron Johnson against the world? Where's everyone else? He can't be the only United States senator concerned about this. Well, I mean, I hope you're right. I hope you're right, but we just haven't seen haven't seen any evidence yet, you know. That's the thing. That's the thing. We just haven't seen any evidence yet. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Look, I want to say a word for a friend of mine. A fellow named Justin Minton. M-I-N-T-O-N. Minton and Benton. Benton, Arkansas. Justin Minton is a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he sure helped me when I was in two automobile accidents in 2019. Now he's helping me with the one that I had in December of 2021. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year, the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin meant to make sure the mental law firm always works hard for you. Whether you're hurt in a car wreck, hurt on the job, or your loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, Justin Mental Law is here to help you in the state of Arkansas. Just call the Minton Law Firm at 501-943-4195 or visit justinmentonlaw.com. Dot com today. Wow. Um, I need to share one more thing with you before we get out of here. It's, uh, It's a difficult subject, but uh, I uh, I just can't back down from difficult subjects. This is from the Illinois Family Institute. Article by Megan Basham called How the Federal Government Used Evangelical Leaders to spread COVID propaganda to churches. In September, Wheaton College Dean Ed Stetzer interviewed National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins 
on his podcast entitled Church Leadership about why Christians who want to obey Christ's command to love their neighbors should get the COVID vaccine and avoid indulging in misinformation. For those not familiar with Ed Stetzer, he's not just a religious liberal arts professor, and this wasn't just another dime a dozen pastorly podcast. To name just a few of his past and present titles in the evangelical world, Ed Stetzer is also the executive director of the Billy Graham Center and the editor-in-chief of Outreach Media Group. He was previously an editor at Christianity Today, an executive director at Lifeway Books, one of the largest religious publishers in the world. That's to say nothing of the dozen-plus books on missions and church planting that he has authored. In short, when it comes to leveraging high evangelical offices to influence everyday Christians, arguably no one is better positioned than Ed Stetzer. You may not know his name, but if you're a church-going Protestant, it's almost guaranteed your pastor knows his name. Which is why, when Ed Stetzer joined a line of renowned pastors and ministry leaders lending their platforms to Obama appointee Francis Collins, the collaboration was noteworthy. During their discussion, Francis Collins and Ed Stetzer were hardly shy about the fact that they are asking ministers to act as the Biden administration's go-between with their congregants. Francis Collins says, I want to exhort pastors once again to try to use your credibility with your flock to put forward the public health measures that we know can work. Ed Stetzer replied that he sometimes hears from ministers who don't feel comfortable preaching about COVID vaccines, and he advises them in those cases to simply promote the jab through social media. Ed Stetzer said, I just tell them, when you get vaccinated, post a picture and say, so thankful I was able to get vaccinated. People need to see that it is the reasonable view, unquote. The conversation between Ed Stetzer and NIH Director Dr. Francis Collins also turned to the subject of masking children at school, with Collins noting that Christians in particular have been resistant to it. His view is firm. He says kids should be masked if they want to be in the classroom. To do anything else is to turn schools into super spreaders. Ed Stetzer offered no pushback or follow-up questions based on views from other medical experts. He simply agreed. The most crucial question Ed Stetzer never asked Dr. Francis Collins of the NIH, however, was why convincing church members to get vaccinated or disseminating certain administration talking points should be the business of pastors at all. Ed Stetzer's efforts to help further the NIH's preferred coronavirus narratives went beyond simply giving Francis Collins a softball venue to rally pastors to his cause. He ended 
the podcast by announcing that the Billy Graham Center will be formally partnering with the Biden administration. Together with the NIH and the CDC, it would launch a website called coronavirusandthechurch.com to provide clergy COVID COVID resources they could then convey to their congregations. Much earlier in the pandemic, as an editor at Evangelicalism's flagship publication, Christianity Today, Ed Stetzer had also penned essays parroting Dr. Collins's arguments on what they call conspiracy theories. Among those, he lambasted other believers for entertaining the hypothesis that the coronavirus had leaked from a Wuhan lab. In a now-deleted essay, preserved by the Wayback Machine, the Web Archive, Ed Stetzer chided, quote, If you want to believe that some secret lab created this as a biological weapon, and now everyone is covering that up, I can't stop you, unquote. It may seem strange, given the evidence now emerging of NIH-funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China, to hear a church leader instruct Christians to repent for the sin of discussing the plausible supposition that the virus had escaped from a Chinese laboratory. This is especially true, as it doesn't take any great level of spiritual discernment. Just plain common sense. To look at the fact that COVID first emerged in a city with a virology institute that specializes in novel coronaviruses and realize it wasn't an explanation that should be set aside too easily. But it appears Ed Stetzer was simply following Dr. Francis Collins, the NIH's lead. Only two days before Stetzer published his essay, Francis Collins participated in a live stream event co-hosted by Christianity Today. The outlet introduced him as a, quote, follower of Jesus who affirms the sanctity of human life, unquote, despite the fact that Francis Collins is on record stating he does not definitively believe, as most pro-lifers do, that life begins at conception, and his tenure at NIH has been marked by extreme anti-life, pro-LGBT policies. More on this later. But the pro-life Christian framing was sure to win Francis Collins a hearing among an audience with deep religious convictions about the evil of abortion. Many likely felt reassured to hear that a like-minded medical expert was representing them in the Biden administration. During the panel interview, Francis Collins continued to insist that the lab leak theory wasn't just unlikely, but qualified for the dreaded dis, the dreaded misinformation label. Here's the quote. If you were trying to design a more dangerous coronavirus, you would never have designed this one. So I think one can say, with great confidence that in this case the bioterrorist was nature 
Humans didn't make this one. Nature did. It was the same message his subordinate, Dr. Anthony Fauci, had been giving to secular news outlets. But Collins was specifically tapped to carry the message to the faithful. As Time Magazine reported in February 2021, while Fauci has been medicine's public face, Francis Collins has been hitting the faith-based circuit and preaching science to believers. The editors, writers, and reporters at Christian organizations did not question Francis Collins any more than their mainstream counterparts questioned Anthony Fauci. Certainly the Gospel Coalition, a publication largely written for and by pastors, didn't probe beyond the so-called facts Francis Collins offered or consider any conflicts of interest the NIH director might have had before publishing several essays that cited him as almost their lone source of information. As with Christianity Today, one article by Gospel Coalition editor Joe Carter linked the reasonable hypothesis that the virus might have been human-made with wilder QAnon fantasies. It then lectured readers that spreading such ideas would damage the church's witness in the world. Of course, Ed Stetzer and the Gospel Coalition had no way of knowing at that point that Collins and Fauci had already heard from leading U.S. and British scientists who believed the virus had indeed escaped from a Chinese lab or that they believed it might be the product of -of gain-of-function engineering, possibly with funding from the NIH itself. Nor could they have predicted that emails between Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci would later show the pair had a habit of turning to friendly media contacts, including, it seems, Christian media contacts, to discredit and suppress opinions they didn't like, just as questioning, pardon me, such as questioning COVID's origins and the wisdom of masks and lockdowns. What Stetzer and others did know was that one of the most powerful bureaucrats in the world was calling on evangelical leaders to be, quote, ambassadors for truth, unquote, and they were happy to answer that call. The question was just how truthful was Francis Collins' so-called truth? Ed Stetzer, Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, were hardly alone in uncritically lending their sway over rank-and-file evangelicals to Francis Collins. The list of Christian leaders who passed the NIH director their microphones to preach messages about getting jabs, wearing masks, and accepting the official line on COVID as long as it is esteemed. One of the most noteworthy was the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, an organization funded by churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. While a webinar featuring Francis Collins and then 
head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Dr. Russell Moore, largely centered, again, on the importance of pastors convincing church members to get vaccinated. The discussion also moved on to the topic of masks. With Dr. Russell Moore nodding along, Francis Collins held up a basic over-the-counter cloth square. He asserted, this is not a political statement. This is not an invasion of your political freedom. This is a life-saving medical device. Well, even in late 2020, the claim was highly debatable among medical experts. As hematologist, oncologist Vinay Prasad wrote in City Journal this month, public health officials like Francis Collins have had a truth problem over the entire course of COVID, but especially when it comes to masks. Dr. Prasad wrote, the only published cluster randomized trial of community cloth masking during COVID-19 found that cloth masks were no better than no masks at all. At this point, even the CDC is backing away from claims that cloth masks are worth much of anything. Yet none of the Christian leaders platforming Dr. Francis Collins, head of the NIH, evidently felt it was worth exploring a second opinion. And the list of pastors who were willing to take a bureaucrat's word that matters that could have been left to Christian liberty were instead tests of one's love for Jesus goes on. Former megachurch pastor Tim Keller's joint interview with Francis Collins included a digression where the pair agreed that churches like John MacArthur's, which continued to meet in person despite COVID lockdowns, represented the bad and ugly of good, bad, and ugly Christian responses to the virus. Oh, really? So Tim Keller, former megachurch pastor, agreed with this bureaucrat Francis Collins that John MacArthur's church remaining open was bad. During Saddleback Church, Pastor Rick Warren's special broadcast with Francis Collins on behalf of Health and Human Services, he mentioned that he and Francis Collins first met when both were speakers for the billionaires and heads of state who gather annually in Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum. They, oh, the World Economic Forum, that, that's a group that says by 2030 you won't own anything, you won't have any privacy, but you'll, you'll be so much, so much happier. So Rick Warren speaks there regularly. I didn't know that. We talk about a purpose-driven life, huh? Anyway, they reconnected recently, Rick Warren revealed, at an off-the-record meeting between Francis Collins and key faith leaders. Rick Warren did not say, but one can make an educated guess as to who convened that meeting for what purpose, given the striking similarity of Francis Collins' appearances alongside all these leading Christian lights. 
Once again, Rick Warren and Francis Collins spent their interview jointly lamenting the unlovingness of Christians who question the efficacy of masks, specifically framing it as a matter of obedience to Jesus. Rick Warren, best-selling author of The Purpose Driven Life, declared, wearing a mask is the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Before going on to specifically argue that religious leaders have an obligation to convince religious people to accept the government's narratives about COVID. Rick Warren said, let me just say a word to the priests and pastors and rabbis and other faith leaders. He said, this is our job to deal with these conspiracy issues and things like that. One of the responsibilities of faith leaders is to tell people to trust the science. They're not going to put out a vaccine that's going to hurt people, unquote. What a liar. What a deceiver Rick Warren is. They're not going to put out a vaccine that's going to hurt people. Really, so that's why the FDA protects the vaccine manufacturers from being sued. But I digress. Leaving aside for a moment the fact that government does have a record of putting out vaccines that hurt people, is it truly the pastor's job to tell church members to trust the science? Is it a pastor's job to slyly insult other pastors who chose to handle shutdowns differently as Rick Warren did when he quit that his ego doesn't require him to have a live audience to speak to? And still the list goes on. The same week John MacArthur's church was in the news for resisting California Governor Gavin Newsom's orders to keep houses of worship closed, Francis Collins participated in an interview with celebrated theologian N.T. Wright. During a discussion where the NIH director once again trumpeted the efficacy of cloth masks, the pair warned against conspiracies, mocking disturbing examples of churches that continued meeting because they thought the devil can't get into my church. That's a quote. Or Jesus is my vaccine. That's a quote. Lest anyone wonder whether N.T. Wright experienced some pause over lending his reputation as a deep Christian thinker to Caesar's agent, the friends finished with a guitar duet. Even hipster Christian publications like Relevant, whose readers have likely never heard of Francis Collins, still look to him as the foundation of their COVID reporting. Throughout all of it, Collins brought the message to the faithful throughout their, let me try this again, throughout all of it, Collins brought the message to the faithful through their preachers and leaders. He says, God is calling Christians to do the right thing. And none of those leaders thought the question whether Colin's right thing and God's right thing must necessarily be the same thing. Why not? 
As Rick Warren said of Francis Collins during their interview, he's a man you can trust. Perhaps the evangelical elite's willingness to unhesitatingly credit Francis Collins, former head of the NIH, with unimpeachable honesty, has something to do with his rather Mr. Rogers-like appearance and gentle demeanor. The establishment media has compared him to the Simpsons character, Ned Flanders, noting that he has a tendency to punctuate his soft speech with exclamations of, oh boy, and by golly. Going by his concrete record, however, he seems like a strange ambassador to spread the government's COVID messaging to theologically conservative congregations, other than his proclamation that he is himself a believer. The NIH director espouses nearly no public positions that would mark him out as any different from any extreme left-wing bureaucrat. He has not only defended experimentation on unborn babies obtained by abortion, he has also directed record-level spending toward it. Among the priorities the NIH has funded under Francis Collins a University of Pittsburgh experiment that involved grafting infant scalps onto lab rats as well as projects that relied on the harvested organs of aborted full-term babies. Some doctors have even charged Francis Collins with giving money to research that required extracting kidneys, ureters, and bladders from living infants. And they had the link. They had the link to the article about that. <laughs> Dr. Francis Collins further has endorsed unrestricted funding of embryonic stem cell research, personally attending President Obama's signing of an executive order to reverse a previous ban on such expenditures. When Nature magazine asked him about the Trump administration's decision to shut down fetal cell research, Collins made it clear he disagreed, saying, quote, I think it's widely known that the NIH tried to protect the continued use of human fetal tissue, but Ultimately, the White House decided otherwise, and we had no choice but to stand down, unquote. Even when directly asked about how genetic testing has led to the increased killing of Down syndrome babies in the womb, Dr. Collins deflected, telling BeliefNet, quote, I'm troubled by the applications of genetics that are currently possible are oftentimes in the prenatal arena. But of course, in our current society, people are in a circumstance of being able to take advantage of those technologies, unquote. When it comes to pushing an agenda of racial quotas and partiality based on skin color, Dr. Collins is a member of the left in good standing, speaking fluently 
what he calls structural racism and equity rather than equality. He's put his money, or rather taxpayer money, where his mouth is, implementing new policies that require scientists seeking NIH grants to pass diversity, equity, and inclusion tests in order to qualify. To the most holy of progressive, progressive sacred cows, LGBTQ orthodoxy, Dr. Collins has been happy to genuflect. Having declared himself an ally of the gay and transgender movements, he went on to say he applauds courage and resilience it takes for LGBTQ individuals to live openly and authentically and is committed to listening, respecting, and supporting them as an advocate. These are not just the empty words of a hapless Christian official saying what he must to survive in a hostile political atmosphere. Dr. Francis Collins' declaration of allyship is deeply reflected in his leadership. Under his watch, the NIH launched a new initiative to specifically direct funding to sexual and gender minorities. On the ground, this has translated to awarding millions of dollars in grants to experimental transgender research on minors, like giving opposite-sex hormones to children as young as eight years old and mastectomies, and mastectomies to girls as young as 13. Another project awarded $8 million in grants included recruiting recruiting teen boys to track their homosexual activities like condomless anal sex on an app without their parents' consent. Other than his assertions of his personal Christian faith, there's almost no public stance Dr. Francis Collins of the NIH has taken that would mark him out as someone of like mind with the everyday believers to whom he was appealing. You know, it's interesting. It, it reminds me of a saying the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association had when I was a child. The saying went... If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It reminds me of that. Other than his assertion of his personal Christian faith, there's almost no public stance Dr. Francis Collins of the NIH has taken that would mark him out as someone of like mind with the everyday believers to whom he was appealing So how did Dr. Collins overcome all this baggage to become the go-to expert for millions of Christians with little help from his friends who are happy to stand as his character witness? Tim Keller, Rick Warren, N.T. Wright, Ed Stetzer, all publicly lauded him as a godly brother. From presenting... Francis Collins to Southern Baptist, Dr. Russell Moore, gushed over him as the smartest man in a book club he attends. That also includes, according to Time Magazine, such luminaries 
of the Christian Christian intelligentsia as Peter Wenner of the Atlantic Magazine and David Brooks of the New York Times. In October, even after Francis Collins' funding of the University of Pittsburgh research became widely known, Dr. Russell Moore, Southern Baptist Church, continued to burnish his friend's reputation, saying, I admire greatly the wisdom, expertise, and most of all, the Christian humility and grace of Francis Collins. That same month, influential evangelical pundit David French deemed Francis Collins a national treasure and his service at the NIH faithful. Former speechwriter for George W. Bush and Washington Post columnist Michael Gerson struck the same poetic tone in his effusive praise, claiming that Francis Collins possesses a restless genius that is other-centered and is a truth-seeker in the best sense. Except apparently, except apparently when, when those others are aborted infants or gender-confused children and when that truth pertains to lab leaks or gain-of-function funding. Since news began breaking months ago that Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci intentionally used their media connections to conspire to suppress the lab leaks theory, none of the individuals or organizations in the story has corrected his record or asked Francis Collins publicly about his previous statements, nor are they circled back with him to inquire on record about revelations, the NIH-funded gain-of-function coronavirus research in Wuhan. They also haven't questioned him on the increasing scientific consensus that cloth masks were never very useful. The Daily Wire reached out to Ed Stetzer, Tim Keller, N.T. Wright, Rick Warren, Russell Moore, and David French to ask if they had changed their views on Francis Collins given recent revelations. You know what? Not a one of them responded. Francis Collins has been an especially successful envoy for the Biden administration, delivering messages to a mostly Republican Christian populace who would otherwise be reluctant to hear them. In their presentation of Francis Collins' expertise, these pastors, these Christian leaders, suggested that questioning his explanations as to the origins of the virus or the efficacy of masks was not simply a point of disagreement, but sinful. It was sinful to question him on the efficacy of masks. It was sinful to question him on the origins of the virus. This was a charge likely to have a great deal of impact on churchgoers who strive to live lives in accordance with godly standards. Perhaps no other argument could have been more persuasive to this demographic. This does not mean these leaders necessarily knew that the information they were conveying to the broader Christian public could be false, but it does highlight the danger religious leaders face. 
when they've when they're willing to become mouth organs of the government. I got something to say about that in a minute. What we do know about Francis Collins and his work with Anthony Fauci is that they have shown themselves willing to compromise transparency and truth for PR considerations. Thus, everything they have told the public about the vaccines may be accurate in their message, a worthy one for Christians, but their credibility no longer carries much weight. It would have been better. Let me say it again. It would have been better had the evangelical establishment never platformed Francis Collins at all and shipwrecked their own reputations to showcase their lofty connections to him. While these evangelical leaders were warning about so-called conspiracy theories, Francis Collins was waging a misinformation campaign himself. One of these Christian megaphones helped further. Oh, yes. Why they did it is a question only they can answer. Perhaps in their eagerness to promote vaccines, they weren't willing to offer any pushback to Francis Collins' other claims. Certainly the lure of respect in the halls of power has proved too great a siren call for many a man. Or perhaps it was simply that their friend, the NIH director, called on them for a favor. If so, a friend like Collins deserved much, much more scrutiny. There's an instructive moment at the end of Rick Warren's interview with Francis Collins. The pastor misquotes Proverbs 4, saying, Get the facts at any price. That, of course, is not what the verse in Proverbs 4 says. It says, get wisdom at any price. And it was wisdom that was severely lacking when so many pastors and ministry heads recklessly turned over their platforms, influence, and credibility to a government official who had done little to demonstrate he deserved them. Now, this article was originally published by the Daily Wire. But I got it off of something called the Illinois Family Institute. IllinoisFamily.org. And I'll link it on my Facebook page. What I wanted to say was... um. I'm old enough to recall early in 2021 early in the Biden administration, when none other than Franklin Graham said that he would be happy to help the Biden administration get the word out about the vaccines. Like father, like son, I guess. I, I, think, I think that, you know, having come to faith in Christ at a Billy Graham crusade when I was 16 years old in 1972, that I can speak out about Billy Graham. In 1992, he agreed to preach the inauguration prayer for Bill Clinton, and Christians begged him not to because Bill Clinton was pro-abortion, and he ignored their concerns. 
and did it again in 1996. He went on CNN and said he thought that Bill Clinton was going to be a great president, thought that he was going to be a, a much better president than people were willing to give him credit for. So it didn't surprise me when early in the first year of Biden's term, his son Franklin said, oh, yeah, I'll be happy to work with the the Biden administration to encourage people to get vaccinated. Didn't surprise me in the least. You know, this this knee-jerk reflex this knee-jerk reflex to trust the government, it just, it just flabbergasts me. It shouldn't, but it does. I, I just... Will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? I don't know. I can't call it, Holmes. I can't call it... <clears throat> I, I will say one thing, though. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. All right. Brought to you by Red River Your Way. Big old car dealership in the middle of the United States of America that believes in freedom. Including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV you want to online the way you want to. And have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's tweet of the day is actually a thread from the great John Hayward, writer over at Breitbart, who says everyone involved in giving the Olympics to communist China should be bitterly ashamed of themselves as these tyrannical antics unfold. You whitewashed slavery and genocide. You put young athletes in an impossible position and made them instruments of propaganda. You did more to undermine the cause of human rights and liberty around the world than anyone who isn't actually holding a smoking gun or the master's end of a leash. You've helped China and its ally Russia discredit the entire concept of human rights. You gave a vicious authoritarian regime even more leverage over the politics and business of the free world, and they will make aggressive use of it. You've got American so-called news networks parroting communist propaganda. You're helping China get away with unleashing a pandemic You've got the Speaker of the U.S. House telling free men and women to bite their tongues in the face of monstrous evil or else their tyrannical captor hosts might make them suffer. What more complete submission to tyranny could be imagined than the one you helped engineer? You never should have let this happen. You could have stopped it. It would have cost a lot of money and sadly disappointed teams of fine young athletes, but it would have been worth it. And now you give decent people no choice but to turn away 
from the whole sickening spectacle. Congratulations, greedy Olympic organizers and sponsors. You have tainted the ancient sport, the ancient sporting event for generations to come. You've mounted a contest that no one with a conscience can watch. You validated the communist criticism of Western weakness and hypocrisy. Bravo. That is today's tweet of the day. Brought to you proudly by Red River Your Way. See, what's going on with the um, Olympics in China, that, that is slavery. That is genocide. But the United States of America stands for freedom. And our sponsor of the tweet of the day, RedRiverYourWay.com, also stands for freedom. Absolutely. Freedom. And I'm proud to be associated with them. All right. You've been listening to the 81st episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Friday, February 4th, 2022.